0: Here is Pastor Micaiah. Good evening, Southridge. Thank you for joining us tonight. Whether you're joining us online or in person, we're so glad to have you here. I love that part. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. And I'm so glad we get to take that promise that God will turn it for good. It says here in Psalm 105, verses 1 to 7, "...give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell of all His wonderful acts." Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Let's come to the Lord in prayer
1: tell Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you so much for another chance to meet with you and to worship. I pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit into the presence of this room. I pray that you would work in each and every heart. I pray that you would soften the hard heart. I pray that you would comfort the broken heart. And I pray that, Father, that those who are have a heart that's not yet ready to receive you, that at the end of this message, they will be ready to open their heart to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would spark a revival that would sweep our nation. I pray that you begin to do that great work in this room this evening. We pray that you would use the word to convict our hearts. I pray that it would speak, it would come alive, and that it would do a great work this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing be seated once again want to welcome all those who are watching online god bless you thank you for joining us this evening and i just pray that the message and the and the uh uh, sermon is a help and encouragement to you and to your family also we'd love to see you in person whenever you're able to join us but we're glad that each and every one of you are here looking forward to what god is going to do in our time together if you have a copy of god's word would you go to the book of acts The book of Acts. I met a gentleman on the way in, and he was right on the money. He said, are we going to be in Acts 17? I said, yes, sir, we are. And so I love that where people are tracking with us as we are just marching through the New Testament, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, exploring what God's word has to say for each and every one of us. Well, I'm so glad that you are here. I'm looking forward to our time together, and I pray that our time is helpful, and I would encourage you to grab a notebook and a copy of God's Word so that you can follow along. I know we put it up on the screen, but there is something about being able to take a copy of the Bible and be able to see it for yourself and to see what God's saying, and then also to have a journal or a notebook with you so you can write down what God is saying to you, because we believe here at Southridge that note-takers are history makers, and So I'd love to encourage you to grab a journal. We are making those available for free on the back. So if you would like a journal, just go ahead and go back there and just grab one. Ask somebody at the information uh, booth. We'd be glad to uh, make sure you get a a free journal uh, there. Well, it seems to me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but it seems like everybody's kind of talking about the same thing nowadays. You say, what is that? Have you noticed everybody's talking about changing the world? just seems like that's just kind of on everybody's mind right now, just that the world just kind of needs to change. And I don't know if you felt like that, and it just kind of seems like that's on everybody's mind, that the world just needs to change. And maybe you've even thought, well, the world is changing, and maybe you think it's for the worse, maybe you think it's for the better, but it just seems like everybody's kind of in this mode of changing the world. And it just seems like that's on a lot of people's mind. Even as you turn on the news station, as you turn on things, you just see that the world is talking about changing. And oftentimes you could see that many people would say, yes, the world needs to change. And we need to change the world with racial reconciliation. That's been a common one. Another one has been, oh, we need to change the world politically. We need to change it financially. We need to change the world with our systems, with our uh, government. We need to change The world It just seems like everybody's talking about changing the world. But what's amazing to me is that when it comes to changing the world, uh, oftentimes people will ask that question. We need to change the world. And if you would have asked me in my 20s, hey, what do you think about changing the world? I may have shared some illustration that I think many of you have heard about a man who was at the beach and the beach was covered with starfish. And uh, he started to throw the starfish in the water. Somebody else came along and said, sir, why are you throwing starfish into the ocean? Uh, You're never gonna uh, make a difference in all of these. And then with that, he picks up a starfish and throws it in and said, well, it made a difference in and that person and, and you know, try to move you with that arousing illustration that we've all heard uh, from a long time. We've heard about making a difference in starfish. And then on the way home, you'd be like, but I think there's bigger things to worry about than starfish. <laughs> you know? Or you might be picking the story apart. Like, well, why did the guy you know, not help him throw starfish in the ocean? And it's not a great illustration about changing the world. And uh, I find that when it comes to changing the world, we, we're in agreement that the world needs to change We're just not in agreement on what needs to change. And it seems to me that even in the church, there's not consensus on changing the world. That even the church is divided about what we need to change and what we need to focus on. And if I were to go around the room and pass around the mic, I think we'd all have a different area where we feel like this is how we would change the world or this is what we need to change. And there's so many varying opinions about it. And so especially when you ask people how to change the world, everybody will tell you what needs to change, but the thing I've noticed is nobody will tell you how to change the world. Everybody will tell you it needs to change, and then you just almost want to get them to stop and say, okay, well, how would we go about doing that? And then they'll try and give you some sort of an answer and then people would even ask the church well how would we change the world and they come to the church and then the church we start to fumble and we start to make up stuff and you can tell they're just rambling right like just trying to fill in time just trying to wear out the clock dodge the question or something like that and then I began to think about it this week the church when it comes to changing the world should have this thing trademark shouldn't we I mean, the church should be the ones where we should know exactly what needs to change and how to change it and then be doing it. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of amazed because as you study the book of Acts, that's all they were doing was changing the world. And yet, you and I, every May and June, we go to all these graduations and all these graduations and all these graduates are all talking about the exact same thing as a 17 or 18-year-old or a 22-year-old about to graduate either high school or college. They're all like, now, class, let's go and change the world. Three years later, they're still at Starbucks. You're like, what happened to changing the world? You can't even make my, change my order. You got this wrong. That's about the only thing you can change. And it's amazing, too, because we look at the church, and the church should have this thing on lock. We should know exactly how to change the world. But yet, here the church is, and is the world changing for the better? Many of us look around, and we say no. Many of us look around, and we're discouraged by how little the church is actually doing. Even though, when it comes to changing the world, everybody has a famous quote. Everybody has input. You can ask Steve Jobs, he'll tell you how to change the world. You can ask Oprah, she has a quote on how how to change the world. You can ask Yoko Ono, she had a quote on how to change the world. You can ask Gandhi, he had a quote on how to change the world. Any U.S. president has a quote on how to change the world. Everybody has an idea, but few people come to the conclusion on how to do it. And I've now begun to realize that you may tell me that the world needs to change, but unless you tell me how to change the world, you don't actually know. And sadly, when we talk about the church, the church doesn't know. So we need to, this evening, go back to looking at a few things. And we need to learn how to turn. You say, what do you mean learn how to turn? Because the early church, the first church we're studying in the book of Acts, they had something. See, this church in Acts was a movement. But this movement actually moved. This movement that actually moved was centered around a message and this message was about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And today the church is divided on should we be about social justice? Should we be about racial reconciliation? Should we be about building orphanages? Should we be about digging wells? Should we be about Easter egg drops? Should we be about Christmas tree giveaways? Should we be about... uh? human trafficking. And so there's all these ministries and they all kind of have good ideas, but yet they're not really getting the job done of changing the world. But here we can study in the book of Acts and we're gonna see something very powerful that this church did. Because the church should be the one community, the one group, the one gathering, the one ecclesia, called out assembly, that knows how to change the world and doesn't just know it, but they're doing it. But we've lost sight of what the Bible tells us how to change the world. So if you have a copy of God's word, notice Acts 17, verse number 1. Here's what it says. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom. And I'd love it if you have a copy of God's word, if you would underline the word as his custom was. He went in, the, in unto them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had suffered and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So three Sabbaths, this is three weeks, he spent three weeks reasoning with them out of the scriptures, out of the Bible, and then it says later on that a great multitude were one and then leading women, not a few, and I love how he just throws that in, not a few. I thought about titling this message, not a few, because that's how you change the world, but not just reaching a few, but not a few. Like we were reaching a lot, how many? Oh, it wasn't a few. Okay, that really didn't get very specific there, Luke, he was writing this, but yet he just wanted you to know that, hey, there's a lot of people, that they were being reached. And then we continue reading. Notice, if you would, the Bible says in verse number five, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It took them from Acts chapter number 3 to Acts chapter number 10 to have a rep, a reputation. What was their reputation? Oh, those are the social justice people over there. Oh, those are the guys that go to Africa and dig wells over there. Oh, those are the guys that drop eggs from a hot air balloon over there. Oh, those are the guys that do the backpack. Oh, those are the guys that are all about human trafficking. All oh, those are good things, not bad things. But that's not what they said about this group. What did they say about this group? They said this group has turned the world upside down. And they meant it as not a compliment, but they meant it as something that was more of a critique. That, hey, the world was fine until they showed up and they messed everything up. And can I tell you, there's a lot of people that actually think the world's fine. They actually like that Portland's on fire. It's crazy. Yeah, I just, It blows my mind. They're like, this is a summer of love. It's great. Don't you just love it? But my house is on fire. I don't love it. But here are these people. There are certain people there out there, and they just think, man, no, this is, the world's actually getting better, not worse. But you and I were stepping back. And we're saying, what do you mean better? But here this group, their indictment is something that I wish could be said about us. Oh, here come those people from Southridge. They're going to they're gonna turn the world upside down. Now, this is not a throwaway statement, church. I need you to understand that across Rome, the church has been around for just a few short years, okay? The church is less than five years old by the time we get to Acts 17. And something has broken out across the Roman Empire, okay? Rome was the empire that controlled the entire known world in that time. And at that day, there was an uproar that was made. And it was because Christians, what were these Christians doing? Were they burning houses? Were they marching in the street? Were they taking and ransacking businesses? No, that's not what they were doing. What happened was Romans now and Greeks and Jews are being converted. Their previous wicked lifestyles, they're not doing anymore. They're not worshiping the false gods. They're not buying false gods. So the idol industry's tanking. The industry where they would offer the meat to the idols, that industry was tanking. So everybody's like, what's going on? Things are changing. And so the people that don't know Jesus saying the world is just... Turned upside down. And quite a literal translation of turned upside down, it's literal translation means things were topsy-turvy. That's quite literally what the writer Luke is trying to say. He's saying everything just seemed out of whack if you were not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was turning things not upside down, but right side up. That God was coming in, and he's correcting things. You see, the early church knew how to change things. They knew how to bring about change. And even the entire world took notice. Verse seven, Jason had harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decree of Caesar saying there is another king, his name is Jesus. I love it when evil people even recognize that Jesus is a king because I know a lot of Christians who don't recognize Jesus as a king. Because your life is evidence of the fact that you don't believe that Jesus is a king meaning supreme authority over your life. You see, you're saying, pastor, I believe I should run my life. You running your life is actually leading to you ruining your life. Let's just be honest. Because many of us do not have the maturity to actually run our life according to biblical principles. Many of us are deciding to do what we want to do that is contrary to the word of God as our authority, as our example. And so we are now seeing people here that don't even know the name of Jesus are saying Jesus is king. But yet Christians aren't even willing to say that Jesus is king. You're like, well, Kanye said it, so that kind of covers all of us. How about you say it? How about you agree that he's your king? How about you stop letting somebody else say it, and you finally get to the point where you're like, he's king, but guess what? He's not just a king, he's my king. Let's move from a king to my king where I submit to his lordship that he can rule and reign over me, over my desires, over my future, over my family, over my marriage, over my city, over my church. Because that's what a king, a king has his rule and reign over an area. We are his subjects, therefore subject to him. But yet so many Christians have a hard time with that. Because we got that American spirit, you know, like, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Who well, would you put on a seatbelt on your way here? Well, somebody did. You know, you and I, we need to simply look at scripture and then see that and allow God's word to start doing a work. Let's continue reading. The word of God is good. It's powerful. And they were troubled, the crowd and the rulers of the city, when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. I told you in verse number two, Paul had a custom. What was his custom? I go to the synagogue and I start preaching. He just had a custom. Here he is, another city, and now he's back to you, preaching. Verse number 11. And I love this. Once again, if you have a highlighter or something underline, underline verse number 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things be true. You say, why is that verse so important? Here's the great apostle Paul, the person that was going to write 13 books in the New Testament, the person that is the most influential character in the New Testament outside of Jesus Christ, is teaching the Bible. And these Christians in Berea, they said, We're hearing you, but we want to know for ourselves. We just want to verify what you're saying is true according to the Bible. When you turn on a TV preacher a Spotify preacher, a YouTube preacher, get a Bible and verify if what he's saying is contrary or does it actually fit what the Bible is saying? Because there's a lot of people out there that'll lead you astray, make up a verse, twist a verse, pervert a verse. But here the Bereans decided, hey, we know you're Paul. We know you're a disciple. We know you're writing the New Testament, but we just want to search the scripture for ourselves. That's never a bad thing that you walk out of a Sunday service at Southridge and you say, you know, I heard you, Pastor. i listened to that message, but you know what? I'm going to do some study on myself. I'm not going to get bothered. I'm not going to get offended. And a matter of fact, I may click my heels. I may jump. I may whoop. I may holler because any time that you start studying the Word of God, it's going to be good for you. This week, I got to have lunch with one of our church family, and in this meeting, he told me that during this time, he had had a down season, he decided to read through the Bible. And I was like, that's great, you're reading through the Bible. I was like, how much do you read? He said, oh, the whole New Testament. I said, that takes me about six months. You did it in about six weeks. He said, yeah, I had a little bit extra time, my man, and I got so excited. Because more people that are saying, I need God's word, I want God's word. Psalms 1 says, they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever doeth shall prosper. When we get into God's word, that's where prosperity follows you. So the more we have Christians who are like the Bereans, the stronger our church is, the stronger your marriage is, the stronger your families are, the stronger our community is. So let's be a Berean hey, we're not even into the message. We're just reading God's word. Isn't it good? Man, I love it. We'll get to the message, hopefully. But I just love the fact that there they reason with them. Hey, parents, I love that word reason. It's the same word to dialogue. Do you reason out of the scriptures with your coworkers and your friends and your family why the scripture is true? Some of us are embarrassed by the scriptures. We're embarrassed to tell people that we go to church. We're shy to let people know. I talked with a pastor today. We were, uh, I just want to let you know our church, we just want to help other pastors. Pastor Mike McClure and Calvary Chapel is helping us. We want to help other churches. So we have some equipment, and instead of selling it to them, I just said, you know what? I want to bless them and give it to them. Their church isn't open. And I started to talk to him, and he said, well, my church is just different. I said, don't make excuses for your church. Who's in charge of your church? Outside of God, who's in charge? He said, well, I am. I said, okay, then lead the people. You're telling me there's all these problems. How about you lead them out of it? You know the answers. You know the solution. Don't just sit there and say, well, Zoom's not working. Facebook Live isn't working. This isn't working. That's not working. And I just told them, you know what's working for us? We go to a church building. We have some worship. We open the Bible. We preach. Some people show up. Some people don't. But guess what? We're seeing God do a lot more by just saying, hey, we're going to have church. And if you feel like attending, you can. We just decided that we believe God's in it and God's been showing up. He's been doing great things. And so here, we need to be those type of people that we just sit down with our children and reason with them. We've got 23 people enrolled in our evangelism outreach class. And each Sunday at 10.30, we meet and we talk about sharing our faith. And it's great because they all realize that it's a dialogue. We need to meet with these people and talk with these people, have a conversation. And that's what Paul did. Let's continue reading. Verse number 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Same thing that happened in Thessalonica has now happened in Berea. It just kind of seems like Paul can't catch a break, can he? So we don't have a lot of time, but then all of a sudden they had to leave to the next city. And it says in verse 16 that now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. The city of Athens is a well-known city. It's a city of Aristotle, Plato. It's a city where our Olympic Games came from. It's a city of art, of culture. It was a great city, and here Paul comes, and what does Paul do? He walks into the city, and the Bible says he's stirred by it because Paul's about to do something. You see, Paul understands that we know how to turn the world upside down. We know how to bring about change. So Paul is stirred by this city. Do you drive through San Jose as you drive through the 101 or the 680 and just look out among the city and just ask God to stir your heart over the city? Do you just look out and you just see things and just say, God, just give me a heart for the city. God, just break my heart that there are people that they think they've got everything they need, but yet, Father, if they don't have you, then they're missing everything. Because what does it matter if a man gains the whole world and lose his own soul? So Paul, he gets to Athens, and Athens is in a modern city. It's a beautiful city. The Colosseum still stands today. You can go there, and you can see the temples. People do tourism trips there because it was this this great city of intellect. It was a city of of, of Olympic Games started there. There There's so much culture there. But yet that's not what stuck out to Paul. What stuck out to Paul? He said, here's a city, and I'm stirred for this city. It means that he hurt within himself. He groaned within himself because he saw a city wholly given over to idolatry. What is idolatry? It's the worship of false gods. It's the worship of little statues. It's the worship of things that are not God but pretend to be God. It's the things that you and I make to replace God. One scholar has wisely said that man's heart is an idol-making factory. You may not have an idol in your living room that you worship and light incense to, but your job could be your idol. You may not necessarily go to a temple where you bow down and worship to some statue, but you could have a car that's an idol. It could be a bank account that's an idol. It could be your uh, reputation and your job and your status. There's all kinds of things that we make our small G-O-D God. There's all these things that we're constantly trying to replace. It was said about Athens in that day that it was easier to find a temple than to find a human being. There were that many temples. We're going to see here there's so many temples, there's so many gods that they even, in verse 23, have a temple and a statue to the unknown God. They said, just in case we forgot one, we don't want to offend anybody. So this is to the unknown God. And Paul's going to use that. Paul's going to teach and tell them about the unknown God because Paul understood how to change the world. You see, for Paul, it wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just a concept. For Paul, he understood how to change the world. And that's what we want to talk about this evening. So please write this down. We need to change the way we change the world. Because there's all kinds of ways that churches think about changing the world. And I've listed several that our churches tried and many other churches have tried. But I want to go back to verse number two. The Bible says, now Paul, as his custom was, went to them and from the, and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. You see, Christianity has morphed into a movement that doesn't move. Anybody ever traveled to Europe? Can I see your hands? Lucky. I hope to go sometime. That must be nice. But when you go over to Europe, you know one of the tourist attractions is all the beautiful cathedrals that are now museums that you pay to go into, and they don't hold worship services? I went to the Middle East, and there, Europeans had built churches even in the Middle East. There's all these European churches all throughout the Middle East. They're beautiful. And our tour guide said, hey, stand in the middle of this giant cathedral, and he said, whisper. And he said, look at the acoustics. They're so beautiful good, you can hear yourself wherever you might be in this giant cathedral. Isn't it amazing? And I was like, we paid to get into a church that's empty. You see, Christianity is the only movement that's lost its ability to move. It's lost its ability to change things. We've become stuck and stagnant. The church of Acts was a church that was moving. I said it a few weeks ago, when it comes to the church moving, if we are persistent, we will get it, but if we are consistent, we will keep it. The Apostle Paul said, I know how to see the world turned upside down. I know how to see things change. And it wasn't because he got into human trafficking to end that. It wasn't because he was into food pantry stuff, even though that's good. It wasn't because he was into helping feeding the poor. It wasn't because he was into uh, helping with political issues, racial issues. No, what was his thing? The Bible says he went to the temple as was his custom. Isn't it amazing? Paul did what all of us can do. Paul changed the world by simply saying, I preach. I go to the temple, I open my Bible, and I preach them Jesus. Not profound. Not exaggerated. He just went there, and then Paul even wrote in Second Timothy four too, preach the word, be in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. There's this idea that Christians back in the day, the reason they turned the world upside down is because everywhere they went, they just preached about Jesus. They just told people that Jesus is the life, the truth, and the way. No man comes into the Father but by Him. You may may think you have another way. You may think it's all different roads, leave to the top, but understand that would be wrong. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way to God and that is Jesus Christ and his death, his burial and his resurrection. And that's what changed the world. And that's why the church should have this thing on lock. We should have a trademark. We know how to do this. But yet why aren't we changing the world? Because we won't have a custom like Paul that everywhere we go, we tell people about Jesus. You say, well, pastor, that's just for the preachers. Silas is with him. This man by the name of James is with him. James went from a leading man in this city to a man who led other men to Christ. Any of us can be people that lead people to Jesus and tell people about Jesus, and that's how they turned the world upside down. It wasn't let's take up arms and let's start a revolution. What they instead, instead of taking up a sword, they picked up the Bible and they said, we're going to preach from these manuscripts and the scrolls that they did have. They, they, they reasoned with them from the scriptures that they did have. You see, Paul, it's amazing. He was stoned in chapter 14. He was beaten, put in jail in chapter 16. And now he's chased out of two other cities And none of it stops him from preaching about Jesus. You would think that after being stoned, beaten, put in jail, chased out of town, that you'd be like, I think God's telling me something that I need to go do something else. I think it's time to try another career, another industry. But it doesn't stop Paul. Because Paul just says, all right, next town. Today, they're talking about all these mass events are super spreaders. You ever heard that, super spreaders? Oh, don't go to that rally. That'll be a super spreader. It's just gonna go everywhere. Oh, don't send your school the kids to school. That'll just be a super spreader. But here's the deal. I love the song we sang, what the enemy meant for evil. God turned it for good because Paul would have stayed in the cities that he was in, but because they chased him out, he just went to the next city and he started preaching some more and more people got reached. He got chased out of that city so he'd go to the next city and he would preach some more. You see, the apostle Paul is a one-trick pony. He just keeps telling people about Jesus everywhere he went. We go to a city, nobody, he couldn't pronounce the name. is like, hey, I'm just here to tell you about Jesus. They joke around about Paul but instead of when he would come into a town, he would ask, what's the prison like, not the hotels? Because he knew he'd be in a prison. Paul just knew, all right, here I go just going to find me a prison ministry, just going just to preach Jesus. He said the question was not why would he stop, but what would keep Paul from stopping? This man was driven. We need Christians to say, hey, I'm just going to keep telling people about Jesus. I think our coworkers should see us coming and be like, oh no, they're going to tell us about Jesus. Because your coworkers see you and they're like, oh no, I have to hear about the Raiders. Oh no, I have to hear about the A's. Oh no. I have to hear about his scoliosis, I don't know. Oh no, I have to hear about his grandchild. Oh no, I have to hear about his camping trip. Oh no, I have to hear about his new car. Oh, I have to hear about his vacation. They're saying that about us. Why don't they say it? Oh no, here they come, they're gonna tell me about Jesus. Oh, man, they're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to talk about what a great Sunday they had. They're going to bring their Bible, and they're going to want to preach to me. And they're going to start calling you preacher man, preacher woman. They're going to start, oh, here comes the holy roller. Oh, here comes that Christian. I wish to God that some of us actually had that reputation, that when we show up, people are like, oh, man, here comes that person. Oh, don't tell a dirty joke around them. That when you walk in, they're like, oh, stop, stop talking about that stuff. They don't like it. They're happily married. We're not, but they are, and so let's actually you know, stop bagging on our wives, stop bagging on our husbands. You know, It used to be you could walk into a room. As soon as people knew you were a Christian, the whole atmosphere in the room would change. Now you walk in the room as a Christian, and they're just like, oh, I got this great joke. I know you'll love it. Come over here. What's happened? I'll tell you what's happened. We have not changed the world, but the world has changed us. Let that sit with you. Right there, we should end the sermon, all come to the altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the sin I've let in. I'm sorry that I'm just as comfortable watching all the same filth that everybody else is watching. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm comfortable talking about the same filth everybody else is comfortable talking about. I'm sorry that I'm comfortable uh, doing all the same stuff everybody else is doing. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I'm, I'm, I'm stopping other people from receiving Jesus because they're looking at me and they're saying, if Jesus can't even change you, what good is he going to do Me. You see, people that change the world, first of all, we said we need to change the way we change the world. But understand this. Please write this down. Only changed people can change the world. Only changed people. But yet Christianity is famous for being people that say they're changed at church. Everywhere else, they're very comfortable doing some things that they might be embarrassed to tell people at church. But yet, sadly, many churches, and I've been guilty of it, just now I want to make you feel comfortable. I just It's okay, just show up and, oh man, you might do some things, Ah, it's okay, we're all, we're all growing in grace, it's okay. And I'm not talking about that we just judge people, but I'm talking about that when we come into the presence of God, that there's this holiness where you're like, oh man, I don't like that. My mother-in-law's a dentist and I love my mother-in-law and uh, I'm saying that because she watches our sermons. So just wanna let you know, mom, I do love you. But I remember when I was dating my wife, she was like, hey, uh, my mom's a dentist. You want her to uh, check out your teeth? And I was like, I have to say yes because there's no way she's gonna let me marry her daughter if she doesn't know what kind of teeth I have. That's just the way dentists are. Like I know other people, when you talk about teeth, it kind of grosses you out and everything. And so I was like, man, I'm kind of embarrassed about my teeth. So I scheduled a couple dental appointments here in the Bay Area before I went to San Diego. And I said, just do all the work you need to do, but make it look like it's kind of old, okay? Make it look like I do a really good job. Because I was embarrassed about what my mother-in-law, my future mother-in-law was going to say. I wanted to make a good impression. So I was going to fake it until I made it. And yet when I got there, she was like, what dentist just saw this? And I was like, what dentist? This is natural. I don't I don't need a dentist. I brush my teeth and floss after every meal. You know, you just say it. But yet, isn't it funny? Before we go to the dentist, we brush our teeth like crazy. Right before we go to the doctor, we're like, maybe I should eat a salad. One salad? You haven't seen a doctor in five years, and you're telling your wife, "Let's let's go to Chipotle and we'll, I'll just get a salad. You know, no meat, no dressing." You know, matter of fact, just just put air in a bowl and I'll just eat that. You know, like I got to impress the doctor. Why do we do that with God, though? We're like, oh, I'm going to church. I haven't been in five years. Now all of a sudden I better get cleaned up, go see God. How about we just say, hey, Lord, this is real. And if you're going to use me to change the world, I need to be changed. So Holy Spirit of God you're king of my life, so what do you not like? What, does you, what do you want to change? What do you want to root out? What needs to be different? Because we're not going to change the world until we allow God to change us. And there's three types of people we read about in this passage. In verse number five, we read the first group, the Jews, who did not receive the word. So there are those who will resist. And there are those in this room, you're going to resist the word. That's you. You're resisting the word of God. The word of God is being spoken. It is being preached. You're seeing it verse by verse. And you're resistant. There's a wall up. And there's no yelling, screaming, spitting, and hollering that I can do. Only the Holy Spirit of God can break through that wall. So the Holy Spirit of God has to do a work unless you you simply say, you know what? I'm going to be open to what God wants to do. I'm not going to be like verse number five those Jews who said, No, we're not going to be persuaded. Even though they see the evidence, even though they were in the same room, the Bible even tells us, but the Jews who were not persuaded, meaning they heard the same argument as the others, there was, the Bible said in verse number four, there was a multitude of Greeks and leading women, not a few, but here are the Jews that said, We're not persuaded. And then they began to turn other people's hearts, so they were resisting the word. Then we came down to verse number 18, where Paul's in Athens, and he meets the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. They encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? The word babbler, they just thought he was a fool. They ridiculed the word. I know a lot of Christians today, when you hear something you don't like, your defense mechanism is to ridicule. Well, that pastor, he's too young to know what he's talking about. Oh, I don't know about that church. I don't I don't I don't take stock in it. That's our defense mechanism. We have to ridicule something because we know conviction set in. We do it with people we don't agree with. Oh, well your candidate's an idiot. Oh, well this, I can't believe you would like I can't believe you would like that person. Oh, I can't believe you drive that car. I can't believe you'd wear that. We ridicule. It's a defense mechanism to, to cover up and mask our own insecurity. And here, the Epicureans and the Stoics decided that they want to just ridicule Paul. Now, who were the Epicureans and the Stoics? The Epicureans, their whole life philosophy that life is about pleasure. And just embrace all of pleasure. Life is all about pleasure. It has no meaning. It's amazing. We live in the Silicon Valley. I've met a lot of people that they're Epicureans. They don't know they're Epicureans, but they're Epicureans because it's all about pleasure. It's, hey, what's the latest fad? What's the latest trend? What's the latest thing? What's the latest party? What's the latest thing that I could do? I'm just wanting to soak in life. I just want to take it all in, give it all to me. All the parties, everything I can get involved in, anything I want, just give it to me. That's the Epicureans. They were all about just embracing life. And then there were the Stoics. The Stoics, they taught a different philosophy. They were all about enduring life, that life is just pain. They had more of a fatalistic view of life. That there's nothing after this life. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do does not matter. We would call this in modern days relativism. What's true for you is true for you. It may not be true for me. It's all, and it all doesn't matter. We just evolved from primordial ooze. There's no creator. We're in an accident. We're just evolved from animals. No wonder we're starting to act more like animals. We're just going back into what we are. No wonder. Just, it's all fatalistic. It's, just, it's all just nothing. I don't remember anything before I was born. I'm not going to remember anything after I die. It's all fatalistic. That was the Stoics. And Paul is going to reach to these people. The Stoics and the Epicureans, they were the leading philosophers, the leading groups of their day. And the Bible says that Paul's heart was stirred toward them. People who ridiculed him, his heart was moved towards them. I talked with a person right before the service. They said, I offered to pray with somebody, and they ridiculed me. And I said, "That that person needs your prayer the most. The person that pushes you away, they need it the most. My wife and I, we never fight. That's a lie. But when we have, on occasion, had passionate discussions, she'll later tell me, hey, when I'm like that, just hug me. And I'm like, but I feel like giving you a bear hug, though. I just, I, I, I might hug too much and be in jail. You know, just hug. Yeah, I don't know. And she was like, no, 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 I just need a good hug. And I was like, oh, you just don't, don't feel like doing that, just... Oh, yes, I love you. We're having a great, great time. But it's true. The people that push away God, push away church, they need it the most. But yet the Christian says, oh, it didn't work. They didn't want it. They rejected, it, and I'll, I'll leave them alone. You have that coworker. You have that relative. You have that friend. And that friend needs Jesus more than ever. They may push you away a hundred times. Be the person that says, hey, I'm going to keep on witnessing. I'm going to keep on telling you about Jesus. I want you to know. See, the philosophy of the Epicureans was enjoy life. The philosophy of the Stoics was to endure life. And Paul wanted to show them how to enter into eternal life. Paul said, both of you have a wrong philosophy. It's not going to work. So what does Paul do? Paul teaches the word. And we need to be like the Bereans who receive the word, verse number 11. Are you receiving the word It says they searched the scriptures. They were hungry for it. There's a great quote. If you haven't heard it, let me tell it to you. It says this, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Do you receive God's word? Do you ridicule God's word? Or are you rejecting it? We need to be the time people that receive it. So we said, first of all, that when it comes to changing the world, we must change the way we change. And only changed people can change the world. But please write this down. We can change the world. You see, the church needs to get back to understanding that we know how to change the world. It's preaching Jesus. There's nothing else to preach. There's nothing worth more than telling people about Jesus. He's the pearl of great price. That's what he is. He is the one who sold all that he had to buy a field where the pearl was there, selling everything. That is Jesus. He's the ultimate prize. He's the ultimate one. Jesus is the greatest treasure. He is more than just our constant hope. He is more than just our joy. Jesus is everything, and he means everything to us, but yet Christians, we've gotten to this point where we just claim the name of Jesus, and Jesus is more of a derogatory word. It's more of you stub your toe, oh, Jesus, or maybe it's something like you need help, oh, Jesus, or it's something where you're excited, oh, Jesus. It's sad that that's what he's turned into, an explanative Instead of understanding that, no, Jesus is everything. That when I say Jesus, I love him. And I know he loves me. And that's what we need to get back to is where we understand how to change the world. But I love when Paul gets to Athens, uh, Silas and Timothy weren't there. Paul doesn't wait for reinforcements. His heart was moved. He needed to tell these people about Jesus. Has your heart ever been so moved you just had to tell somebody about Jesus? But the reason I think why Christians don't tell us about Jesus is probably the same reason why the Athenians didn't know about Jesus. You say, what was that? Because the Athenians had a statue and they had a temple to the unknown God. I'm not so much concerned about making sure every creature knows God. I am now more concerned that every Christian knows God. because I actually think there are many Christians who don't know God. You've made up your own idea what God is. Someone has wisely said, God created man, and man has been recreating God in his own image. And we've just created what we think God is. And I'm not concerned by those that don't know Jesus that are creating their own God. I'm concerned by the Christians that are. Some of the stuff I hear Christians say that, oh, God accepts certain things, or he's okay with this, or God acts like this, or God wouldn't do that, and I'm saying, that's not the God of the Bible. You see, we need to get back to knowing who God is, because he's the one that gives us the power and the strength to make things happen. He's the one that we can plug into. There's a great verse in the book of Job, and the man who was counseling Job said this in Job 36, verse 26, he said, behold, God is great. And we do not know him. What an indictment. I feel like that's where the modern church is. We're all saying God is great. And we even sing this song. How great is our God. How great is our God. I don't know the rest of the song. I don't really know those two words. And we just sing how great is our God. But we don't actually know a God. We don't know that he's great. We just know to sing it. We just know to clap. But we don't really know that God is great. As a matter of fact, we've never even tested, we've never allowed ourselves to get to the point where we need him to be great. And yet, how can you change the world apart from God? You see, we need to know God. But when you teach a message about Christians only God, they just kind of naturally assume, well, I know God. No, you know about God, but you don't know God. You know about me, but you don't know me. You know about people, but you don't know people. You see, you can spout facts you can tell me details, but do you truly know God on an intimate basis? Do you know him deeply? Do you spend that time with him? Do you want to soak in and be with God? You see, as Christians, we're disconnected from God. Yesterday, I needed to change the light. My wife told me the driveway light, the motion sensor, that light wasn't working. And so I decided to grab my tool belt, get my tools. My tools are so clean and shiny because I never use them. So they're always like perfect. I'm like... I'm gonna use my tools today. Wipe off the dust. My tools are very pretty. I have very pretty tools. I rarely get to use my tools. So I was all excited. Yes, I'm gonna reuse, reuse my tools. So I got my ladder. And then my neighbor came out to watch. Like I was like, don't do that. That's mean, man. Because he knows I'm, when it comes to tools, I'm working on it. You know, And so he's just was staring at me, and so I changed the light. I was all excited. I changed that light. I got it all hooked up, and there's a little button on the bottom of the light to test it to make sure it's working because I was like, I'm going to install this light. And I got it all installed, and I hit the test button, and the light didn't light up. And I was like, that's weird. I don't know why it didn't light up, but I have another shiny tool that I never use. And it's this little thing that checks that there's an electrical current running through things. I can push it into outlets and a little light will go off and it'll make a sound and I'll just stick it in there and it's great. And then I took that little tool and I went up to the wire that the light was connected to and nothing. There's no current passing through the wire. My previous light wasn't broken, it's not connected to the source of power. There's nothing wrong with the light, there's just no power. You know what I did though? I stepped back and I was like, but I like the light. It's a new light. It doesn't work, but it looks nice. And I left it there, I didn't take it down. I didn't fix my problem. I didn't do it at all. And this morning I was like, what a dumb thing. Like, I didn't wanna leave just a hole up there, so I put up the light and the light looks nice, but it does nothing. What a perfect illustration. We're supposed to be the light of the world, but yet we're not connected to our source of power. And so guess what? You're a light, but you're not turned on. You don't shine. You're not bright because you're not connected to God because you don't connect to things you don't know. And many of us are like, yeah, let's change the world. We need to change the world. But you're not connected to God. You're not connected to the source of power. Please write this down the little time we left. As you get to know God, the supernatural becomes natural. But the problem is many of us are like, no, supernatural doesn't really happen. Yes, it does when we're connected to God because God wants to do the supernatural things. He wants to do things that are exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask, think, or imagine. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think or imagine. That's what God wants to do, but there's so many Christians, you, as long as you pretend like, look at my light, I'm so pretty, I'm so nice. Just don't ask me to, Provide any illumination. See, the Apostle Paul said, no, 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 I'm going to provide some illumination. I'll go to Athens. You can ridicule me. You can reject me. But it's not going to stop me because I know how to change the world. And I changed the world not because I've got more talent, not because I've got more ability, but I changed the world because I just know God. He's not an unknown God to Paul. Paul could tell others about God because he knew him. He knew he was great. So you and I, the challenge for us is to know God. Too often, we're guilty of leveraging the wrong power. I told my pastor friend over lunch, I said, hey man, I'm just giving this stuff away. He's like, well, this is good stuff. I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm tired of relying on them. He said, what do you mean? Yeah, I said, you go to church today, and man, they're really big on how's the worship, how's the sound and lights and the smoke and mirrors. I mean, it's just a great performance. It's better than a concert, and It's free. You say $70 and you don't have to wait in that annoying parking at the shoreline for two hours to get onto the freeway. So people will show up to worship and be like, man, that was great worship. But they don't have a, really any change. And I said, we make such a big deal out of that. I said, we make such a big deal about all the technology and all the cool things and how can we awe and wow and ooh and ah people. I said, you know what? It became for me a crutch Instead of just begging for God to move, and if He didn't move, well, guess what? It ain't gonna work, God, because I got nothing else to fall back. It's you and nothing else. Yes, we're gonna sing to the best of our ability, but guess what? We're not relying on the worship yes we're going to greet people with the best of our ability but we're not relying on our greeters yes we're going to do the best we can with technology the best we can but what we are relying on is people that say we are like the bereans and we want to know god we want to be in his word and we want to see what god will do through us we want to we want to just point people and say when they look at our church they'd be like what how did god do that and we just said you know what we just started praying we just started preaching the bible we just started telling people about jesus and all of a sudden god just began to do some stuff too often you can go to a church and you're like, man, that was a great show. I just don't know if Jesus was there. I mean, it was packed, but I just don't know if Jesus was there. And that's the saddest indictment because we have buildings filled with people, but yet we don't actually change anything. We're stuck in the same habits, the same routines. We never see victory over our sinful habits. We never see victory in our lives. We become these casual, half-hearted, half-committed Christians that are kind of in, kind of out, depending on our moods. We're up, we're down. We're just kind of like, oh, whatever. I may go to this church. I may go to that church. I may attend church. I may not attend church. God just loves me. He just cares about me. If you could say it, that's fine. I don't really know if there's a hell. I, I, I mean, it's all just kind of whatever. Instead, what we need are some people that simply say, you know what? It's just old school, back to the Bible. If God's word's working, he's working. If God's convicting, he's convicting. Because what we need nowadays is people that no longer leverage all these things to kind of make up for what God is doing. There's an Old Testament story about a priest who was coming in and they were supposed to bring special fire to light up the altar. And this fire was a special fire that they would get. You couldn't just go to make a bonfire and take that fire and light up the altar. It had to be a special fire. But this priest decided to go get his own fire. And God struck, t- struck him down dead because why? Because he brought a strange fire. He brought a power that was not what God wanted. He said, that's harsh. That's, that's terrible. Why would a loving God do that? You know, when somebody violates the rules, they violate the rules. When God was clear, like, hey, this is the way it needs to be done, we say, oh, I just can't accept that Old Testament God. Well, that same Old Testament God said, hey, I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh. But then the king repented in dust and ashes, and God spared all 100,000 of his citizens, even though he sent Jonah there to wipe them out. So before we get all judgmental about one little passage, we need to see the overarching character and nature of God. You see, Christians, this is, this is why we take a lot of time and painstaking time. This is why I tell you, go to a life group, attend growth tracks, be a Berean, get in God's word. We're, we're, we're not here to impress you. I'm not here so that you could step back and be like, what a statesman. What a scholar of God's word. No, I'm just here to tell you, God tells us what we need to do And we just follow it. And I love what Apostle Paul says because he's teaching in Athens. I'm gonna wrap it up with this. And he says to the unknown God, and then he's gonna tell him about this unknown God. And notice what he says, verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't need anything. Think about that for a second. Every other world religion says, hey, you need to do this. And God says, I don't need anything. That's a real God. I don't need you to worship me. I don't need you to bring an offering. I'm, I have everything I need. He so says, he's not a God that needs to be worshiped. And then he goes on, verse number 26. And he says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on, all the face of the earth, That verse alone wipes out any racism we might have. We're all from one blood. That should wipe out racism. And determine their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That should comfort us, that God is not far from us. Many of us feel like, oh, God's so far off. No, he's not far Therefore, since we, the offering of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art of men's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, "We will hear you again on the matter." And the last verse of chapter 17 says, "However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus the Arabagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with him." I don't know if you caught it, but Paul just went back to his custom. He said, "It's all about Jesus." Jesus says. You just need to repent. That's it. And there we have two people that we know. There's just a few. Just a few. And that's how we begin to change the world. Just a few. You see, church, we need to get back to understanding that we don't just gather here just so we can just take in. No, we're here to change the world. When Christians are ignited with a passion to tell others about Jesus to tell others that there is life beyond this life. More important to tell people what Paul told the Athenians, that there is a judgment coming and we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're all gonna be judged. For the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, What is a wage? It's what you earn. It's what you receive from what you've done. Your life has earned you a wage, and the penalty of that wage is death. Not just the death in this life, but an eternal death. What is that death? It's separation from God. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance is what he's saying. What is the repentance? The word repentance means to change my mind about what I view eternal life. To change my mind and realize that Jesus died for my sin to pay that debt. The debt has been paid for me. I've been to a restaurant and I've been sitting there. And then when I ask for the bill, they say, hey, you see that lady, that gentleman over there, they paid your bill. Jesus did that, but he paid a bill you could never pay. Though you give all your gifts to the poor, though you sell everything you have and try to feed the poor, God says you couldn't pay it. You couldn't be good enough if you had a thousand years to do good deeds. It's only the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of Jesus. And we have to make a decision. Will we receive him or reject him? And that simple message, it wasn't trendy, it wasn't popular, but when they came to a city like Thessalonica, even the people that didn't like the message said, here they are. These are the ones that are going to turn the world upside down. Wouldn't it be something that people see, uh, they go to Southridge. They're going to turn the world upside down. You see, everybody's talking about changing the world. We know how to change the world because we've allowed God to change us and we in turn are able to change others. Let's all stand. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to go into our cities, our neighborhoods, our communities, our families and to share this simple life-giving message that you desire all men everywhere to repent, to receive you, to confess their sins, and to turn from their wicked ways that they might have an eternal life. It was a message that Paul was willing to be beaten, willing to be thrown in jail, willing to get chased out of city and go city after city after city, and still He told others about Jesus. People that ridiculed him, people that were hostile towards him, he still told them the message. And God, that's what our church needs. A church filled with people who just tell others about Jesus. Tell them how he's changed their life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask a very important question. Have you asked Jesus into your heart to be your Savior? Have you prayed that prayer? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Not something your parents told you did, but you can remember a time, a place. You know that Jesus is your Savior. Would you slip up your hand with nobody looking around? You say, I know I've done that. Oh, amen. Amen. God bless you. Put your hands down. There are many of you that couldn't raise your hand. And I'm praying that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be at work in this room where you'd know, hey, I need Jesus as my Savior. I've tried a lot of things. I've put my hope in a lot of things, but, but Jesus is the answer. And I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And with nobody else look around, you say, yes, I'm ready to receive him as my Savior. Would you slip up your hand? Can I pray for you? Is that you? Is that you? Here's what I'm gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna open up this altar. And I'm going to be standing down front here. And you say, hey, I want to talk about receiving Jesus. I'll meet you down here at the front. Or maybe you want to come and you want to pray for somebody. You say, hey, I know somebody that needs Jesus. I want to come down and I'm going to pray for them. Or maybe you know, hey, you know what, God? I have not been the right type of Christian. And I need to, I need to ask God for forgiveness of that. So right now, we're going to worship and we're going to sing. And with everybody heads and eyes bowed and eyes closed, we're going to give those people that are coming down front, we're going to give them a moment. We're not going to call them out. We're not going to embarrass them. But we're going to give them a moment where they're going to meet with God. And so right now, if you're not coming forward to the altar, you pray for those that are on their way. And right now, let's sing. And I'll be down front. And if you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you. I'll be waiting for you right down front. Let's sing this last song.
0: We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.